I think I just want to share a little bit in the beginning about uh, who you are to me. I know you are a lot of things to a lot of different people, but who you are to me. And so for me, uh, I remember the first time I saw you down in Georgia before we were about to do The Walking Dead. Pit bulls. Um, that's right. I drive across country with my pit bulls and I was uh, sitting outside at a restaurant and you were going to meet me there. We we're going to have a talk about the show. And I saw this car pull up. You had literally driven from your home in another country on a fucking island. You had driven there and the car pulled up and I see this tall, strong woman get out of the car with bare feet. And then behind her came two dogs off leash. And I believe, I mean, in my mind, I remember like a bird on your shoulder and a fucking like <laughs> monkey following you. But there was like a cat too, I right? feel like this is Pirates of the Caribbean no, that you're I mean, describing look, it, it right now. It is like a lot of marijuana and mushrooms, but I also just think that like, was there a cat off leash too? <laughs> Could there have been? What? There's so many things wrong with the story that you really? just told. Oh, yeah. fuck. All right, all right. Fuck. So this many. This is fucking up my whole intro, man. This is So many. Doing. No, I mean, it's kind of amazing. Go because ahead. this is this is the way we remember different things. Fair enough. And I can't promise you that I have a, like, super specific memory. Okay. I've done far fewer marijuana and mushrooms situations. Yep, yep. I, but true. I thought we met in the lobby of the hotel. Because you and Andy came to pick me up to go to that barbecue. Yeah, now nah, you and I met before that. You and I met the night before. You were coming in. And you had, and we had talked on the phone, oh. and you were like, "Yo, I'm on my way in." Yeah, yeah. And we're like, Let's talk about character. Whatever. Hey, and you were like, "Hey, man, I can meet you." But and I and and so we, yeah. I found a, I think it was on. It was like in downtown Atlanta. That- but I know you pulled up in this fucking car that yeah. you had driven from an island off of Vancouver. So I'd driven from LA. Like I said, an island off of Vancouver. <clears throat> I had I had come from LA. I okay. only had the one dog at the time. I only had Paca because we got Kana in Georgia. Okay, yeah. Season two. Story, yeah. But I did have a dog and a cat. And I probably wasn't wearing shoes. And they were definitely not like tied to like I have all No, I don't have dogs. I don't yeah, have leashes for my creatures. Anyway, I remember and I'm like, yo, who the fuck is this? You know, like cross you with these like animals with So that's my first memory of you. And my wife was literally giving birth in mm. LA. You were the woman mm. who said Get the fuck off set. Down get on the Georgia, plane. Took my two fucking pit bulls. No questions <laughs> asked. You said, get the fuck out of here. I got you. I believe you were at the birth of my daughter and 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 held her before I did. Uh, that was accidental. But, 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 but I'm just saying. That was, I feel really bad about you, no, that. No, no, man. I thought that no, you'd had a chance not, to hold her. Nah. Look, you are someone in my life who... Uh, you know, has pushed me and and mm-hmm. and challenged me, and made me grow and made me see things ab- about myself that I I think honestly I can't think of anyone else who has been able to cut into what's really going on the way that 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 you can. You're a truth teller, and uh, you know, just as as recently as literally this morning. <laughs> you know, I had a conversation with you about my life and about my family and about things that I'm going through. And it's something that, you know, we met on a film set. But over the last 12 years, you know, besides, you know, my wife's sisters, like you are the closest thing I have to a sister. And like mm-hmm. when I look at like our highs, our lows, we've bumped heads. We've <laughs> come out of it. Yeah. Uh and I'm just, I'm just like, man, I'm just, I'm just like really grateful for that. I'm really grateful for you. You've become a part of my life, my family's life, my network of friends. You're in that life, um, your family. And I think the, 
the one thing that I, that I bet we agree on. It is the absolute number one best thing about what we get to do for a living. That it it, it puts you in sort of a fertile field where those kinds of relationships mm-hmm. can flourish and can be generated. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's 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 my favorite thing about about what we do. It creates a a staggeringly fast intimacy. It can. It can. Do you know what I mean? And that set, Frank fostered it. And I think you and Andy and I all came into it together going, there's a way to do this. Mm. Where we all come out better people and better actors. And I don't know about you, but like I'd come off of a show that was very different and had a, a very challenging environment and came out of it going, how do I consciously create a culture that brings everybody up and doesn't leave anybody behind. And you did that. Like you, we talked you, about that. Yeah. We all did that, though. Yeah, but you you were there was the like force a... behind the culture of that show, making sure everybody, you know, we're all there in Georgia together, making sure everyone was looked out for, making sure I think that was all three of us, though, because there was kind of a zero-tolerance policy for... Assholery. Yeah, yeah, you know, and Andy did his thing through, like, sheer force of will and leadership. Like, I am just going to so wholly devote myself to this path that one by one people are going to go, what's he doing? I should do that. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And like we all kind of had our little thing. And I think what was beautiful is that it it worked because we chose to be devoted to each other. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Be like, I will make sure that you do the best work you can possibly do by giving you everything I can give you. And I mean, it's funny. I was just talking to Milo about this the other day. Like if I do my job as an actor, I give you everything you need for your work. That's right. So that all you have to do is say your lines in the right order and not bump into the furniture. Okay. And then when I'm on camera, because, and that's the thing that I think sometimes people don't know is I'm looking at you, but I'm looking behind you is a wall of lies. It's a wall of cameras and lights and grips and, you know, people on their phones doing other stuff. And that's how it's supposed to be. But the only real environment I ever see is when you're on camera. So I can play the truth because I see the truth. Yeah. The camera turns around and I'm you're the only truth I've got. That's right. That's Everything right. else is a lie. That's right. Unless you're on one of those really cool shows. You know, and, and I got to say, actually, Mikey and a lot of the guys on the show were great about like putting the cameras so fucking far away that it was a little different. But yeah, I mean, it's I will be forever be a different actor for having worked experience. on that show. And a, a different person, too, yeah, yeah. which Me is too. part of why we're sitting here as friends, I think. What was it about the show that you were on? Before, I guess that was Prison Break. I mean, what what was it about that show that you that you felt was toxic, like when you or, or, or that like wasn't working, or like how, how do you contrast the, those? It felt a little bit like every man for himself, you know. And there there were friendships that formed on that show, and I was really close to the lead of that show for a long time. Um, but you know, I mean, look, I think people get in the business for different reasons, and Walking Dead was the first time I was on a set working regularly with people who I think were in it for the same reason that I was in it. Like you, you put it really well all the time. You were like two souls touching. That's, that's the goal at the end of the day. Like, how do you, how do you land all the way into somebody else's heart? And one of the things that I really love and respect about the way you walk in the world, you said this to me the other day and it really stuck with me is that you think everybody is reachable. Yeah. yeah. You don't give up on people. Like you will relentlessly, (laughs) love on someone or joke on someone or bug somebody until you find the part of them that's real and Mm -hmm. then land in that and Mm -hmm. see where that goes. And it never really occurred to me that everybody wouldn't want to work that way. 
and then you get into the world and you're like, oh, it's not just that you're not doing it. It's that you don't care about doing it. You're not, you know, sometimes you end up in the scene with someone and you're like, well, you're not even trying to reach me. Okay. And I can't get through to you, you know, like, um, and that always just kind of makes me sad because it's like what we do, it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. And so it takes you away from a lot of the things in your life that matter. Sure. And the reward is you, you get to find something cool. You get to create a world out of whole cloth the way only people who write sacred texts get to. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right, like right, right. you build a world, you build a truth. That's amazing. And, you know, I'd just kind of been on a show before where nobody cared about that. And, what and it just made me sad. And because people were like more concerned about like individual performance or people were more concerned with like, what, like what, what do you... I think, I think a couple of people just really didn't care, just decided that the show wasn't something that they cared about kind of early on and went oh. through the motions. And um, I don't really know, you know, like there were, there were a couple of people who were working their asses off and doing really cool work and I would find them over the course of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like I just finished a pilot with Bill Fickner and it's the same thing. And I was looking over and I was like, that's right. Anytime I would get lost in a scene, like look at Billy and Billy's telling the truth. You know? And so you, you you feel like with Walking Dead, it was just like it was just this perfect storm of great writing, great great crew. I mean, like what 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 did great leadership? Great leadership. You know, like Frank showed up with his whole heart, and I think somebody said to me once, "Fish rots from the head down." I don't know if that's true. I don't eat fish, but and I don't sit around and watch fish rot. But it sounds like it could be true, and it's certainly true on a set, right? Like, and Frank showed up and just went, here's my whole heart. <laughs> it's in the words. It's in that, like, he was, it was like a child. You know, mm. I came early to just watch him direct because mm. I was like, I can go to Frank Darabont Film School for free. Right. And he would be behind the monitor and he'd just be like, yeah. Yes, great, let's do it again. Okay. And he would run out to set and was a big grin on his face. And like, you know, there was this just massive enthusiasm for what we were doing. And a real faith. That's what it was, actually. Nobody ever looked down on the material. Mm -hmm. We were doing a zombie show. Right. On fucking AMC. At a time when, yeah, at a time when AMC had ever done three shows, only two of them had succeeded. And they didn't have a hell of a lot of viewership. Like, right. it got there. But, you know, Breaking Bad and, Bad and Mad Men, they had like a million viewers or something. You right. know, like, it wasn't. And it was a comic book back when, like, geeks had not yet run the world. Right. And that was a big difference, too. Like, on Prison Break, everybody was making fun of the material and rolling their eyes mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, changing in this scene of shit and whatever. And it was mm -hmm. just like, oof, okay. But we all showed up for our own various reasons to go, what if we took this totally seriously? Super seriously, that's it. That's like, it. What was that thing? It's like if you have seven people out in the woods running from fucking zombies and if one person isn't taking it enormously fucking seriously like you all yeah. look like fucking assholes you and all i remember look like it was like that that you, you know it was like that can't be t if you make yeah. any noise you're, you're you're violating the rules like they're they're right. out there and and right you know you said everybody came to it with different re you know that was the other thing you know i just think about you know like kind of touchstones in 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 our relationship but you know you 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 just just hit on it like i came to that show kind of lost like i came to that yeah. show not knowing you know who if i wasn't the guy that was 
you know, the craziest dude in the, in, in the, in the spot looking for trouble. Like who the fuck was I? And I had these amazing models with, 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 with you and Andy of, you know, two young artists that were fucking incredible about incredible what, what they did and did it with such uh, sanctity and did it with such vitality and, we're so faithful to the work, but 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 also enormously and equally, if not even more so, faithful to your families, to your spouses, mm-hmm. and to your kids. And like mm-hmm. to be models of that, mm-hmm. it really shaped the way that mm-hmm. I, I I looked at really the next ten years of my life of of, of trimming all the fat out and having these two components of like putting my faith. And I'm mm-hmm. just like wondering, like, how was I to you back then? Like, how when you when you first met me and you saw this dude who was like. <clears throat> I think trying to explain, hey, I'm this guy, but I'm trying to be this guy. I, mm-hmm. I, 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 I imagine I was pretty lost. And, and, and whereas you guys, again, were sort of these beacons of like people who I felt like had it figured it out. I'm wondering what that was like for you guys, not just about me, but maybe just in no, terms no. of going to that show in general. You know, what was interesting is like the first conversation we had on the phone, I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Like, you were like, all right, girl, I'll come pick you up. Rock and roll. And I was oh, like, who fuck. is this fucking white boy? Oh, like, fuck. what in the name of God? Then Talk I met your me. dogs. Then I met your dogs. Yeah. And it was like Boston Venice rolled up. And I was like, oh, well, that's most of what I need to know about somebody. Like mm-hmm. these two ferocious dogs who were so well behaved, off leash, looking to you for like, what's going on? Um so I credit the dogs with a lot of like. Cutting, Funny for you, you too. I saw your dog walking off leash. I was like, dude, that who the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, they, I give them a lot of credit, and I think it's actually interesting that we give that we're people who give the animals in somebody's life more weight than actually them. And I, yeah. I guess that's because they, you know the dogs don't lie, right? right. <laughs> like dogs right. are always going to tell the truth. Right. But you know, this is a funny thing. But like I had. So coming off a prison break in the last season, and we'll see how this goes because this is actually not a story that I've ever told publicly before, but Mm -hmm. we were sitting around one day, we were shooting the scene, and there was this um, porn video that was going around called Two Chicks, One Cup Mm -hmm. that I've never seen. But we were sitting around a table, and the guys started texting it to each other and watching it and laughing. I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. do whatever you want to do. We weren't shooting. We were, they were setting up a shot. And then they started saying, oh, Callie's, that looks like you. That's you. And they went on this whole, like, it, be, it was a fascinating dynamic in retrospect because every one of them individually, almost to a one, was a friend. But they became a wolf pack, like, immediately. And I'm looking around. I'm the only girl, right? Like, this was... Wow. What, 2008? Yeah. Yeah, it would have been 2008 because um, I just had the baby. And and I was like, no, seriously, knock it off. I don't like being called a shit-eating whore. Um, and they doubled down. And one of the people at that table at the time was a very, very close friend. And I was looking over going, he's got the most power of anybody in this room. All he's got to do is say, hey, leave her alone. That's all it would have taken. Like, no grandstanding, no fist fights, no nothing. Just fucking leave her alone. Nothing. And I got to a point where I was like, well, I'm not going to cry. So I'm not going to say anything. And I mean, 
producers, directors, first ADs, all standing around, all seeing this, all hearing this. And I was like, hmm. It was a moment, and this happens as a woman walking through the world when all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm way more vulnerable than I realized I was. And just emotionally, like, no, you know what's going to hurt me. But my fucking feelings were hurt. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, oh, I thought we were friends. But if you can sit here and call me a shit-eating whore over my objections in the workplace, maybe I've misjudged this situation. And I went home and I told my husband and then spent the next hour <laughs> dealing with, you know, I was like, I need you to call. I need this to be about me right now. I need this not to be about like, I you respect, ass, I respect yeah. the fact that as a man, yeah. you want to go handle this. Yeah. But A, that makes my life more complicated. And B, like, I really just need to fall apart right now. How many times do you think you've gone home and Josh and been like, I'm going to fuck somebody up at your job? Like, <laughs> like, 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 what do you? Well, part of the thing about Walking Dead was never on that show. Right, 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 right. And so part of like, to bring this back to your question, the person that you were to me was somebody who was, who shared my definition of loyalty. And I've come to understand as an adult, and especially in this business, my definition of loyalty is like fucking medieval. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Straight it's up. straight up Lancelot, Knight of the Round Table. That means something to me. Um, and it doesn't mean that to everybody. And I've learned to like let that go and be like, hey, you get to, that's fine. Do you think that's you life or do you think that's this business? I think it's got to be both. Mm -hmm. Um but I definitely think that there are people who have gotten into this business because they lacked the courage to do other things. Not to say that this business is easy, right. but I think sometimes, maybe particularly men who aspire to certain aspects of masculinity and so they put them on rather than actually learning them from the inside yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Not always, yeah. uh, certainly, but what I found in you and in Andy was like, no, when we say we got you, we mean we're going to start by creating a culture where that's not going to happen. And we never talked about it, but like there was a level of safety on that set and a level of mutual respect. And like, it's funny because, you know, certain people who know me would think of me as strong or ferocious but very little matters more to me than just feeling safe. And it's kind of staggering how often as a woman in the world, <laughs> the dog's having a dream, dude. totally having a dream. Yeah. Wake up, buddy. Um, we're just so often just not safe, mm -hmm. you know, either because there's some producer who's saying something or some director with his hands all over you or, you know, you got to walk around like Wolverine with your keys through your fingers at night. Like, I think those things are connected that I did the best work of my life, partly because in a weird way, you and Andy set up a perimeter and we're like, nothing's coming for you in here. So we can take big risks because nothing's coming for you in here. Mm. And if they do, they're coming through us and mm. we've got this. Mm. And the funny thing is what that brings out in me is like, cool, I got you too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I, I mean? That's like, what I was going to say. I, I will create yeah. this situation, you know, 
I will make this safe for you in different ways. I'm not going to like fight somebody to the death, but you know, I'm going to emotionally make sure that like there are boundaries and that when you say things to me that are vulnerable, I hold them and I keep them and I keep them safe. Yeah. Um, That I think is where it's something that I've learned as a director that like you have to create this deeply safe environment for people to do dangerous work. You can't do dangerous work if you don't feel safe. What do you think about that? Like, what do you think about like the state of things now? Man, it's tricky. I mean, look, I was, I've been on set doing a love scene with a director calling while we're rolling. Just take your shirt off. Mm-hmm. What? Like, I don't have a nudity writer. Just take, just, it's not a big deal. I won't show it. Just take your shirt off. Like, what am I supposed to do? It's the beginning of my career. This guy's a big deal. Right. Like, you know, so like definitely an intimacy coordinator in that moment to go, what the fuck? Yeah, Cut the camera. Yeah, She's yeah, not going to take shit. her shirt off. Like, yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, yes, but in theory, man, it's tough because in theory, those those protocols are there for when there needs to be an intercession between the relationship between the actors. But there's so much panic and fear on the part of productions and understandably, but I think there are times where it feels like they're doing this shit because they think they should, not because they genuinely care. Totally. And real dumb move of me to think that, like, the studios care. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right, like, right, right, right. That's not, that's, right. they would probably say, it's not my job. My job right. is to make a show. Right. Like, covering your ass and caring are two totally different things. Thousand percent. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if anybody ever cared. Like, did Louis B. Mayer ever care? Right. You know, like, right. I think it's possible that that kind of nurturing environment is more of a fantasy in our heads mm-hmm. of, you know, whatever, of, of what theater was to us when we were young or whatever. Yeah, but I think there's also, there's like, safety can only be created by, by, by people who are willing to lay down for each other. Like, that's what safety is. Like, safety is not about right. covering your ass or, or, or like, it, it can't be about words. It has to be willingness to take action. That, that feeling is kind of always there, right? Like, like, like how replaceable you are. And, and it's cultivated. Yeah. It's absolutely cultivated. And it's, it's purposeful, right? Like, that's what you mean by cultivated? Yeah. 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 I mean, but also, you know, I mean, look, in a lot of ways, it's also true. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I step away from a job, there's going to be 158 brunettes who step up and go, I'll do it, you know? And, like, I'm aware of that when I negotiate, when Mm -hmm. I, like, walk away from a job because a studio is not willing to offer me parity with the man who has the equivalent, you know, salary, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. the response is always, we'll find somebody else who will do it. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, you're right. You Mm -hmm. will. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that I can look my kids in the eye and be like, Mama's going to work for 40 cents on the dollar. See you, kids. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that I can do that. Mm-hmm. And, but they, you know, they know and they know that especially women, the more likely they are to take a lower salary because there's less opportunity. You know, and I, I think at a certain point, it becomes about like, do you want to do this anymore? You know, like, do you want to be an actor anymore? I like kind of leaning into certain kinds of directing because like, you know, the DGA says this is what you get for an episode. Mm-hmm. They don't negotiate differently with men than they do with women. Mm-hmm. It's what you get. Mm-hmm. It's on a schedule. Mm-hmm. It's less money, but it's equal money. I mean, mm-hmm. I took a huge pay cut to do Walking Dead, but I did it because the four of us had parity. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this isn't about money to me. Mm-hmm. This is about 
are we doing the same job mm -hmm. for the same respect? Mm -hmm. Because you and I are both the breadwinners of our family. Mm -hmm. My kids don't deserve less mm -hmm. just because I happen to be a girl. That's right. Right? And so I think fundamentally, the only thing that I've really been able to come to is like we have to come up with a, like a deep rehabilitative forgiveness in this culture. It starts with asking for it. It starts with what does it mean for a man to go, I did not think that the thing I did would hurt you. Oh, because here's an interesting PS, that whole thing that happened on prison break. Then we go back and we do season five, like seven years later. And I'm sitting at a table with one of these guys. And I was like, I just got to tell you, that fucked me up for a minute. Mm -hmm. And he goes, what did? And what became obvious was that day had no significance to him. It was in my head for a long time. Right. Conversations with like my attorney going, hey, listen, if you go public with this, Fox will make sure you never work again. Like my career, it happened to me and my career ended up on the line by the end of the phone call. And like never. How many times that happened, would you say in your career? That like people were like, don't either either it came from you or an external source where people where it was just like, dude, if I say something here, I'm fucked. Oh, oh, yeah. Countless, right? Way more than I could count. Way more than I could count. Because also then there's a like, it's your word against mine. Do you know what I mean? And like, all I've got to do is when they call me to say, should I hire her? Go, she's difficult. Yeah. That's all. That's, <laughs> that's it. Job's over. Do you feel like we go too far, though? Job's over. Do you over. feel like we go too far? Do you feel like we're, we're, where it's like it becomes predatory? Do you feel like there's just like this bandwagon thing? So this is, what's, this is what's challenging about systemic misogyny. You have women, I am sure, who have been outraged at a guy and used an allegation to hurt him. And to get him canceled. And if it's a lie, then it's wrong. But the level underneath that to me is what took her to that point in her life? How many times was she on set with some motherfucker who was like, like, I had a director that by the time we were done walking, working together, I had to have a piece of furniture between us for him to keep his hands off of me. And I don't to this day know why. None of the men in that cast yeah. ever just stood next to me and went, try it. Or just stood next to me. Like, it was all on me. And, like, I never worked with him again. You know, like, super powerful guy, lots of big projects. Never worked with him again. I thought there was something wrong with me for a long time because people were like, you're supposed to build relationships on every job you're on, and that's how you get... I look at your career, do you know what I mean? And, like, you work with the same dudes over and over and over. And I'm like, how come that never worked for me? And be like, oh... Because he tried to fuck me and he wouldn't get his hands off of me. And this, you know what I mean? Like, like, again, challenging for women to build those relationships. I look at the relationships I built. They're with women. <laughs> they're with female showrunners, female directors, female producers who are like, everything I do, I want to do with you from now on. I'm like, fucking me too. Yeah. Why did it take me that long? Oh, because they weren't hiring women. Yeah. Right? So, and this is common. So, like, I think for some women especially women who have been over-identified with how beautiful they are and how sexy they are and have been told, you're here for the this and the this and the that. You know what I mean? Like, 
I wonder if there isn't a level of rage and disempowerment and taking advantage of this. This is not articulate, but you know what I mean? That bubbles up to a point where someday some guy does a thing and they're like, that's fucking it. I have some amount of power right now and I'm going to use it. I'm going to take you down. Is it right? No. Is it misguided? Absolutely. But is there something behind it that speaks to decades of, I hate the word trauma. I really hate it. But decades of misbehavior of other people taking their shit out on my body. Maybe there is. Maybe there is. And so that's why to me part of the solution to this is some kind of radical forgiveness because she's going to need that forgiveness at some point. And like, it would be really great if there was a way to go, okay, do you get it? Are you asking for forgiveness? Are you asking, you know what I mean? Like not just kind of sliding back into the public and being like, did anybody, have we forgotten about this? No, but and not a like bullshit, social media, whatever. I'm talking about where you sit down with the person and you go, Here's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. What do you need from me? Yeah. How do we do that? We're all going to be wronged at some point in our lives. We're also all going to fuck up and hurt somebody. You know, like, I mean, I tore your fucking head off on the phone about a year and a half ago because I was feeling so terrified and overwhelmed. And I got on the phone with a safe person and I just like, I just tore at you. It was awful. I'll be embarrassed about that forever. And I hung up and I thought, Oh, that's it. I just lost one of my best friends. Fuck. And then we found a way through it and yeah. to talk about it and to whatever. And it was like, oh, that's that's what that's what loyalty means. That's what devotion means. That's what love means. It means going, dude, you just broke my jaw with that. Like, fuck. How do we heal? That's you right. You know? That's right. I think we have to get to that. And it was exactly what you're talking about. It was like, you, you know, like being fed up be, be, being taken to the brink on so many fucking things then it's like you're you're you're, you're pouring it out on the wrong on the wrong place on the but wrong you know place. like look man you, you know you know by the way for the record just for the people at home what me lighting into you was not a me too thing like there was no there keep was it mysterious, no dude. keep it mysterious who knows what i'm it, just saying yeah. there was no like there is something right now plaguing our business where we are all kind of living in fear of each other. Everyone is trying so hard to be politically correct and woke. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe at one point, maybe, uh, I, I think that really came from like a really, really good solid place. And I think like righting mm-hmm. wrongs and mm-hmm. looking for justice. But um, I don't know. I'm, 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 I think it's getting in the way of making good art. I think it's getting in the way. I think, I think people who don't deserve – yeah. In, time, in, in certain circumstances, I think there's people who don't deserve the scrutiny that they're receiving and don't deserve mm-hmm. the punishment that they're receiving are. And I think it is a little bit misguided. Mm-hmm. And I don't really necessarily see a way through. And, I, and, 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 and also, I don't see there being less misogyny. I don't see there being less. Nope. People aren't being le- like, and I, I almost feel like, like, the bigotry and the, the 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 bullshit and it's just happening behind closed doors right now and it's just being protected and being and and I I almost think there's it, it it's better when it's like honest and upfront and at least mm-hmm. you can be like oh that's that motherfucker that's what he's about mm-hmm. that's what she's about mm-hmm. um and I think you trade one branch of funda- fundamentalism in for another mm-hmm. and are you able to enjoy somebody's work if they 
behave in ways that you find despicable? And would you be willing to work for somebody? That's who, really interesting. Who, yeah. What, 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 what would you, you know? I mean, like, you did a film with Polanski. Yes, I you did. know, like it's, it's complicated. I, there was an article that came out called What Do We Do With the Art of Monstrous Men? Mm-hmm. It's tough, right? I mean, I think it's probably pretty true that if we were to excise all of the deeply problematic men, we'd have pretty empty libraries. Mm-hmm. And... I think we have to encounter these things in the full contextual complexity. I don't know. I really, I really don't know. I mean, you know, it's funny. Like, I, the older I get, the more I realize, like, I'm really a materialist. I see the world in economic terms. I do not think that people who have been proven to be dangerous to others in that way or abusive should financially benefit. Does it mean that we pretend that they never existed? I don't know that that helps. I, I don't know. I really don't know. So it's a case, for you, it would be a case-by-case case thing. So, like, it, it, right? Like, if you were like, yo, they want you to do this movie, but so-and-so's in it, and, you know, he had that thing, you would have to, like, go look at that thing, or you would have, or would you look at him as an artist or her as an artist, or, like, I mean, how would you make that... It's interesting. I had this conversation a couple of years ago with a friend of mine who's black and he was asked to do a movie with somebody who had like a documented history of saying really deeply racially fucked up stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so what's this about? And he goes, just because he got caught saying it, he's like, I guarantee everybody I've worked for has had the same shit in their head. I just didn't know it. And I was like, he's like, I'm going to cash the check. And I was like, that makes an awful lot of sense. I mean... If I was going to get on a high horse about not working with any man who'd ever had a problem with women, I'd probably only work for female directors. Now, mm-hmm. quite frankly, that works for me. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I'm okay with that. Um, there just aren't that many out there yet. I, I, it, it really depends. It depends on the thing, and it depends on when. You know, I, I heard... I heard the... Oh, God, I'm not going to remember her name. She was an older black woman, and she had a kind of rubric for this. And it was like, if it was more than five years ago, then I need to look at the last five years. And have they learned something? Have they changed? It's one thing to, like, say something when you're in your 20s and it's 15 years later and you're, you're, you didn't know better or whatever. The world was different. You know, like, it was never okay to say that shit. It was never okay to do that shit. But... But there was a permissiveness and a what I, you know, whatever, add all that shit on. And what she was saying is, so I look at the last five years and have they changed the way they approach those things? Have they lived their lives, maybe even not just absent that problem, mm-hmm. but have they actually like hired women, written for people of color? You know what I mean? Like there's all kinds of ways And again, I hate the word ally too, but like there's all kinds of ways to make yourself of service, to make yourself useful to underrepresented communities, Mm -hmm. if that matters to you, if that's a part of making it right. And I think somebody who's done that work, not like posted about doing that work, but like real, yeah, yeah. But actually done that work. Yeah, man. I'm willing to give that person a shot at being the person that they are telling me they are now instead of the person they are back then. 
I think we'd both say that, you, you know, those first couple of years on, on, on Walking Dead were some of the most special times. It was definitely for me yeah. special times of my life. Yeah. Um, sure. In, in, in kind of every way. Um, it was just like, it was just kind of perfect. Um, Georgia was perfect. Georgia was great. Georgia's perfect. And, and, uh, we're talking Georgia's now passed some laws that I don't know if I'd worked on. Well, that's where I was going. I guess, I guess like, you know, it also was like the full experience we're talking about last night of like how wonderful this, this art can be Mm -hmm. and also how toxic this business can be. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if you can kind of like take me through your experience going with Frank Darabont, you know, him, you know, finding out that he was getting fired in the middle of it, you know, what Mm -hmm. that was sort of for you as much as you're you're down with talking about it and yeah, yeah. you know I'm down as well but like y- you know what lessons did you learn from that what 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 did that you know you you had been through a big <clears throat> a big show before like I hadn't like that was like mm-hmm. you know I was like holy fuck being on TV is amazing like these people are <laughs> fucking great and like yo this dude like I was in jail and right. now I'm right. fucking man I'm the biggest show in the world and like holy fucking this dude saved my fucking life and I'm getting yeah. married and I'm about right. to have a kid and what yeah. you firing this dude but wait he didn't do anything but like now he's right. like what right and and I'm just like wondering what that roller coaster was for for for, for you and and I know he didn't get fi- you know it's not these same sort of things that we're talking about now yeah but no in a way he did in a way he got you know like it, it, it's um it it I don't know yeah what 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 was your take on that you know it's funny Stephen Yun called me the mm-hmm. night before mm-hmm. and he was like we'd like we'd just gotten back from Comic Con I mm-hmm. think and he was like. I heard that Frank Darabont's getting fired. And I was like, no way. I was like, no way. He just delivered AMC the biggest hit they've ever had. Like, that's crazy. And he goes, okay, that's, yeah, that's what I thought too. But, you know, I'm kind of new to this. And I was like, no, man, it's good. Go to bed. So literally the last time Stephen called me for advice. (laughs) Look, there's so much I wasn't privy to. But to me, it just felt like an assassination. It just felt like. I mean, the the reasons that we were given were like he's unexperienced as a showrunner and he's unprepared and he doesn't know what he's doing. And I remember being like, but this motherfucker, one month before we started shooting season two, dropped six completed scripts oh. in my lap and said, you can learn these lines. They're not going to change. And they were wonderful. They were wonderful. Yeah. And I like... This is probably a controversial thing to say. You cannot beat his writing. You can't. And there are some really good people who've been writing on that show since, and I got a lot of love and respect for them. Nobody writes like yeah, Frank Darabont. That's, that's a whole different level. Yeah. It's a whole different level. He has a level of humanity and a fearlessness with sentimentality that is just astonishing. And, a, and a, an economy of language. Do you know what I mean? Like, we've said this before, but like that first scene I did with Scott Wilson, where I say, you have no idea what you're doing. You're you're completely in over your head, aren't you? And he goes, ma'am, aren't we all? That's the entire show. It's a show, yeah. I mean, it it, it was extraordinary. And so to to have somebody say he's not ready to be a showrunner, he's unprepared. There may have been legitimate grounds for firing him. If there were, I never heard them. But that was a line of bullshit. And it pissed me off. 
And I remember walking up to Kirkman and saying to him, if you don't think we know the difference between a script written by Frank Darabont and anybody else, you're out of your mind. And I looked in his eyes and I thought, I'm going to get written off this show. (laughs) (laughs) Shouldn't have said that. I was too pissed. And but it was also that like mama bear in me. I was like, we created this beautiful thing. Frank was the one who brought us in. Like, I'm going to go to war for this guy. And you went to war for this guy. And Jeff DeMunn went to war for this guy. And we lost that war. We lost that war, dude. We got pulverized. Lost that war. In like, looking back on it. (sighs) Fuck, now I think this might be too insensitive a thing to say. It feels a little bit like, remember that guy that stood in front of the tank in Tiananmen Square? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Just like, I can stop this. I'm under a tank. I'm under a tail. I didn't stop this. I'm out of a job. Okay. Well, cool yeah um but is there anything there i mean do you hold your head high like do you do you do you feel because like i like 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 i I don't know man like i i don't know hindsight whatever i i just you know when i when i think about when i think about what that guy did for me what he did for my family what he did for my life again shit we might not have been privy like for sure you know i i didn't play ball like i was just like y'all are rotten like that's fucked up like he he did not deserve to be like he made this and like we like you know i unbelievable group of people working on that show unbelievable like it was such a huge success and such a you you know like i've done so many we've done so many projects since and we know so many other people that one was unique and special and hit the zeitgeist in such a unique and, and and special way but like I don't know. For me, I give him credit. I give him credit. For, for, you know, every single person that was there was there because he put mm-hmm. him there and he picked him. And the culture of that show and 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 the way that it, it it's it's him and 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 getting rid of him when they got rid of him and how they got rid of him to like me was just totally two weeks sinister. before he was financially vested in the show. Like that's something's wrong in Denmark. Shit. Yeah. I mean, look, you asked about loyalty earlier, like. That was a lesson in loyalty because I really, truly thought we can all rise up and stop this. Yeah, I remember. Remember, it was the open letter to Variety and we were like in two camps. Remember, it was like one camp was like, we got to keep working. And then we were like, no, we're walking off. Remember? And yeah, I like, mean, the thought was if we all refuse to come back to work until they bring him back, it will at least bring enough attention to the fact that this cast is furious, that maybe somebody. And then and my, my heart was a little bit broken when there was almost no stomach for that. Do you know what I mean? Like, there were, you know, you and me and Jeff. Like, it was kind of funny. It was like, you're like, charge! And you turn around and you're like, there's no army. Oh my God, it's me and a paper sword. Um, Charge! (laughs) I mean, you know, and then, yeah. I mean, but look, I'm, I'm proud of it in retrospect. There were years afterwards that financially were very scary. And like... Those were years where I was like, what was the actual price of your integrity? Yeah, maybe you should have shut the fuck up. Because yeah. another two years on that show with the raises they got, like. Mm-hmm. It's a different different deal. That's, that's life-changing money, mm-hmm. you know? And again, I'm a materialist. The economics of that decision. I was like, yeesh. I remember you called me at one point and you're like, you are going to war for a millionaire. <laughs> and you are not a millionaire. And I was like, I'm in it now. <laughs> you know, like it's too late. But. Um, I don't know. And then there's also a question of like, if we'd shut the fuck up and stayed on the show, I don't know how happy I would have been. I don't know that I would have, you know, and then you go on to do other projects that really are deeply meaningful to you. And you go, well, I 
couldn't have done that. You know, like Colony was a tremendous experience for me and like couldn't have done it. You know, I did a play right after it. Like doing that play meant the world to me. Um, but yeah, it kind of broke my heart. Tell me a little bit about, uh, tell me a little bit about Hawaii and like, like being from there and, and what does that mean to you? Everything. It really, it means more the older I get. Mm -hmm. I realized the land of Hawaii was in some ways what, I don't want to be rude to my mom because I really love my mom, but I was raised by that land and the best parts of myself quite possibly come from the physical land itself and What's that? what it taught me. Well, I mean, first of all, like, I'm not Hawaiian. So it's not my land. And like, I, you know, grew up like as a colonizer, not intentionally, you know, I didn't move there when I was a baby. I wasn't like, let's take over this motherfucker, plant my flag. But mm -hmm. like, that's why I was there, right? Hawaii is an occupied land. It was illegally overthrown by the U.S. government when we all knew better. Do you know what I mean? It's not like... Not saying that, like, it was fine that it happened in 1492, but, you know, I've got friends whose grandparents were alive and great-grandparents were alive in the Hawaiian kingdom. Right. You know, who were, like, there when they imprisoned Queen Liliuokalani in her own goddamn palace and said, we want this. We want it for the pineapples and we want it for the naval base and we're just going to take it. And it's been beautiful, actually, in my lifetime, kind of starting... I was aware of it, at least starting in the early 90s, this sovereignty movement really growing and gaining steam. And like, you know, my senior year, a bunch of us petitioned the school and we're like, we would like a year of Hawaiian language instruction. And the school was like, if you can demonstrate fluency in a foreign language and take it as an elective, sure. Like, great, we'll take it. So, you know, like you learn about, you learn about a culture through the language, you know, and like, Simple example. The word for water in Hawaiian is vai, W-A-I. The word for precious in Hawaiian is vai vai. It's just the word for water repeated twice. Because if you live surrounded by the Pacific Ocean, you need to drink something. Fresh water is a hugely precious resource, right? And I think a huge part of who I am came from, like, we know. We know who we are by the stories we're told, right? That's why we do what we do. We're storytellers because we can, we can sh shape the narrative by the stories that we're told. We only know who we are by example, and those examples often come from stories. And the stories I was told alongside the, like, women are responsible for getting kicked out of Eden, and you can only be a mother if you've never had sex. And, you know what I mean? Like, all the, like, deeply confusing, super fucked up... Judges 19, where they cut this woman up into like 13 pieces to make a point, like just all this crazy stuff. Alongside that, I was taught about the stories of the goddesses in Hawaii and like Pele Hi'iaka Haumea, these like hugely powerful forces. And like Pele is the goddess of the volcano. And when she gets mad, her rage creates new land. I live in a culture where female anger is so judged and frowned upon and and I've got a lot of it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I get real pissed yeah. at when things feel unfair and, you know, just whatever, walking through the world as a woman or whatever. 
Um, and what the stories that I grew up with teach me is that is a creative force of life. That is a creative force of the fucking universe. And it's powerful and it's sacred. And it's, and it's creative. So take your anger and make something. Okay. Make land that people can be on. Tell stories. Do something with it. Don't turn it inside. Mm. Don't shut it up. Don't let it eat you up and make you crazy. Get it out there. And if you listen to the stories, like a lot of what makes Pele angry is disrespect. She'll go in disguise as an old woman or a young woman and stand by the side of the road. And people who pull over and ask her for help, ask her if she needs help. Like the stories are like, someone will pull over and be like, do you need a ride somewhere? She'll be like, oh yes, thank you. Can you take me to wherever? They go in the back of the car and she goes, by the way, there's going to be a, a lava flow tonight. Put white cloth on the corners of your house and you'll be safe. And they turn around to say thank you and she's gone. And then that night there's a lava flow that gets, that covers the whole mountainside and goes around the house, right? Like, so what do we learn? We learn that when we treat our elders with respect, when we treat our women with respect, they take care of us and they protect us. The people who she asks for help and they go, go away. I'm, I've got other things to do. She burns her house to the ground. Well, <laughs> maybe you had it coming, you know? So Hawaii gave me that. It gave me, my sen- it gave me a sense of what female power can look like. Right. And I feel like now that I'm older, I feel a huge responsibility for like, how do I give that back? How do I somehow serve that, you know? So like I'm trying to write things that take place in Hawaii or write Hawaiian characters into what I'm doing or whatever, just create some kind of visibility. Because a lot of people don't even know that like Kanaka Maoli, that like Native Hawaiians are a thing, you know? Like they think that like the Menehune stories are, you know, like brown leprechauns basically. And, and do, you, do you feel like... uh and and what about that? Like coming from a place where, like, like did, did you feel like an outsider here? There, there. Um, yes and no. Like I think the great thing about growing up as a white person in Hawaii is you know you're white, right? Like I came to the mainland, and I was stunned by race relations because first right. of all, every most people in Hawaii are mixed, and so you exchange the recipe when you meet. I'm Hawaiian, Chinese, Filipino, and French. Right. You know? And I'd be like, I'm white. And they're like, right. But And you, you're just like, yeah. uh, um, and it got a little more. I was like, I'm Jewish. Yeah. And they're like, we don't know what that is. Yeah. Well, that's not a thing here. Yeah. Um, like, okay. I don't know what it is either. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. my grandfather was a refugee. He bailed on it. He married a Catholic. Yeah. Um, but, but coming to the mainland, it took me a minute, but I was like, oh, these people don't know they're white. They think they're normal, which is the source of a lot of problems because if white is normal, then what's everything else? And so and right, like now we have real problems. And so one of the big gifts of Hawaii was we were constantly talking about race with curiosity. Like you'd go to your friend's house and like, what are we eating? Like I've never seen this before, you know? And like, People sit you down and they talk you through it or they don't, you know, like I had a sleepover at a friend's house once in seventh grade and her parents wouldn't talk to me. And I was like, okay. And she was like, sorry, I've never had a white friend here before. And I was like, no, it's okay. You know, like it, 
like it's, it's gonna be a quiet sleepover but you know like we had a great time you know yeah, but like yeah. her family and like i get it your suspicion towards holly people is fully fucking founded trust me i live with some of them you know what i mean like totally. this this can be a very dangerous slippery situation and so coming to the mainland with that was helpful you know and i mean you know like when you sit around with white people white people will say things to you as a white person that you're like hang on dog everybody put down what you're doing because this is going to take a minute yeah um let's back up to where you heard that word you know and like but then again it also kind of like maybe makes me useful you know like my new phrase is fight karen with karen i was into something with my kids school the other day and there was this teacher who was carrying out all over my kid and i was like i know what to do i'll call the fucking manager so i called the head of the school and i was like we're gonna fight karen with karen it's karen motherfucker yeah, yeah. hey guess what yeah i'm i'm just gonna gonna lean into this the community you live in now what's what what, what, what what's that like i'm like, in canada how would you describe it yeah pretty self-sufficient i mean interestingly you could import that whole community to rural georgia totally and like there would be a lot of the same values yep. and a lot what of are those the same. values we look after each other mm-hmm. you know i mean at least once a year in the winter mm-hmm. a uh power goes out you know and it's like well these guys have a propane stove so we can go over to their place and we've got a jenny so you can bring your meat from the chest freezer over and keep it cold over here and you know these guys have water so that when the you know when the pump goes out you can go there like there is a community sense of taking care of each other people have guns um some some mostly hunting mostly hunting i mean i've got friends whose 10 year old just took his first deer sure you know and skinned it and processed it and all of that sure you know yeah i mean like that because i I, you know that the difference there is just like, you know, like I, I, I remember shooting up in, in Hope, uh, BC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you can't get laid in Chilliwack. There's always there's hope. There's always hope. There's always hope. I fucking said that to, I, somebody told me to say that to people up there. If you can't get laid in Chilliwack, there's always hope. The place is called Hope. And somebody told me I was at the fucking, I was at the fucking Chateau Marmont and some, and, and I was going to do a movie in Hope. And somebody told me, say, hey man, if you say that to people in Hope, Everyone's gonna buy you a fucking beer. That is a saying everybody knows in Hope. No, they don't. I got that. I got to fucking Hope. Not even a little. Not bit. a single motherfucker at Hope. I said it to everyone. I was like, you know, if you haven't, can't get laid in Chilliwack, there's always hope. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. And, and, nobody and knew nobody had fucking heard of it. And then they ended up making my rap gift was a was a shirt. Was a shirt. You can't get laid in Chilliwack. And that's where I learned hope. that phrase. I remember there was one night where me and uh, the, the uh, Odessa Young. We, 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 I think we, she and I wrapped a day early and we, we were living together and we like, everyone was over drinking and we were listening to music and we were partying our fucking asses off. And it was like, I think it was like a Wednesday we didn't think about, we were playing the music real loud and whatever. And there was just a dude who fucking walked in to my house. He was like standing in my living room. He was like, turn the fucking music down. I'm like. Yo, motherfucker. I'm like, no, nah. I'm like, what in the fuck are you doing in my living room? I'm like, first my man. Off, like, you know what my I mean? My man. Right? And yeah. so, like, and I was just like, it just dawned him, like, had that been here, I would have shot that. But, like, you can't walk into my fucking home. 
But in Canada, we are not generally afraid that if you walk into a stranger's that house, you're they'll get shoot shot. you. And, and, and I guess that's a good thing. It's a nice way to live. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, it is a good thing. That is a good... But I guess like, I guess my question well, for you is it. like... And by the way, I own guns. Th- well, that's what I was going to say. You're yeah. a gun owner. I know your husband's a gun owner. And I know there's this whole like kind of movement now about, you know, when you talk about the, the complicity and everything and the toxicity and everything, you know, there's this whole movement now about like violence in movies, and 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 you and I both. I mean, me me mm. me in particular, but we've been in some we've violent, some violent shit. shit, man. Yeah, like, and again, it's like m- motherfuckers been making cowboy movies and shooting up movies forever. Um, and you know, like Bill Maher just did a thing on on his show. Uh, you know, I've wanted to be on fucking Bill Maher forever, and and the way that I was on fucking Bill Maher is that he was talking about how it's. You know the violence in media is is, is adding to was the violence the inside. It was literally me, like uh, like shooting, and I was, hey baby, look, I'm on fucking Bill Maher. Yay, you know? I made it. But 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 I guess like be you careful know, what, what you wish for. You know what I mean? Where are you on on that? It's a really are you are you partially responsible for all the a, violence in this country? <laughs> Am I personally partially responsible? Um, I mean, I can't just say no, right? Um, you know, and even like going back to, they've been making cowboy movies forever. I've also been fucking. I got a lot of friends in the native community that would be like, and that really sucks for us, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's been super problematic. and And by the way, just the answer, like they've been doing it forever should never be a justification for fucking yeah. anything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, they use that to, like, keep people from voting and shit. Straight up. You know, um, I think what we often do in entertainment is uncouple violence from emotional consequence. I think that's very dangerous. The whole idea that John McClane can shoot a bunch. I mean, there's been so much research on this, but like people get shot, but as long as we don't know who they are and they don't have names, it doesn't matter, right? Like you can mow down a hundred stormtroopers and we don't care. You shoot Luke Skywalker and we care. Why? Because the narrative was designed to make you care about this human life and to make these expendable. That feels dangerous. And like certainly- And dishonest. Totally dishonest. I mean, you look at the research on drone pilots and PTSD, like people who have never been anywhere near the field of battle, who knowing that they have taken a life become depressed and suicidal and are are hurt by that. Like I think what's dangerous is our narrative that you can commit violence without consequence to your own soul. I think that's super dangerous. Um, I, I think maybe even particularly to men, like we've articulated a kind of masculinity that is often characterized by depraved indifference to the consequences of sexual conquests over women and violence towards others. And I see... Like, I'm a feminist and the feminist movement matters a lot to me, but I also think we really need to start talking about the violence done towards masculinity in our culture because we're we're putting men in some pretty impossible boxes. Like what? 
Like you're not allowed to express your anger, but we expect you to shoulder certain things. We expect you to take responsibility for certain things without then taking our own cultural responsibility for saying, well, you know, he's a man's man. What does that mean? You know, like that's sometimes that's used as like, he may be a bit of an alcoholic, violent piece of shit, but he sure is fun. What? Do you know what I mean? Like, we all know he goes home and scares the shit out of his wife. We don't do anything. You know, like, that's problematic. But then, you know, similarly to, like, what we were talking about before with, like, a woman who has been so subjugated her whole life that she ends up lashing out and falsely accusing somebody. Like, what are we doing to masculinity, you know? So when you talk about, like, what, what like, as far as, like, gender roles or whatever, like, do you, do, what, what, how do you feel about, do you believe that there's such a thing? Like, do you believe that they're, like... I, I think believe- we've created it. I think we've created it. And, and but you don't think that there's, like, a natural falling into, it, it, into gender Dude, roles? what's natural in this culture anymore? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, we're so far away from it. I mean, certainly, like, I can look at any number of indigenous cultures whose land I've lived on and that I've kind of studied a little bit and, like... There are men who do women's work. There are women who do men's work. There are women who are responsible for the protection of the culture. There's this incredible book called Sand Talk by Tyson Yankaporta. He's Aboriginal from uh, Australia. And it's a mind blower of a book. Um, But talks about men's business and women's business and, you know, the ways in which that completely subverts the traditional Western gender roles but also make space for the people who exist in the in the in-between place, you know, people who might be considered trans or queer or gender fluid or whatever, you know, but there's space for that. You know, we had my friend Kevin Vance on here who talked about masculinity and, 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 and like the way, like, you know, the samurai and like the way of the warrior and, and, mm-hmm. and that, you know, you, yes, like you needed to Sacrifice, like under- renunciation, focus. Yeah. Calligraphy. Emotion. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Like learning how to dance. Like, Something for like, your soul. Yeah. And like having your, your, your sort of like this, this perfect combination of the masculine and feminine finding balance mm-hmm. between it. And that, mm-hmm. that, that's, uh, that's it. That's it. It's that in this culture, masculinity is defined by the abnegation of femininity and the erasure of femininity inside yourself, which is fucking nuts. But, well, well, there's a, there's like a latent, I guess, misogyny to it. Like that's weak. That's woman. Like that's bitch made. Don't that's, be a right? pussy. Don't exactly. Right. So I guess what I'm, but what Drive I'm asking you, but then you also, I bet you, I mean, we had a conversation about it last night, but like when you look at like this industry that we're in mm-hmm. and the bulk of the men that, that, that are in it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was talking to you about something where I was, was having a, disagreement with somebody and Mm -hmm. i was like well no a a real man doesn't act like that man doesn't Mm -hmm. act like that man wouldn't do that um how do you feel about i mean and as somebody who's like also just like married to somebody married to like like, but pretty pretty masculine dude i mean like super masculine dude but also somebody who can turn to me and go i need to fall apart mm -hmm. because i'm hurting Mm -hmm. i'm grieving and like and also is completely open to all kinds of people all different kind, you know like is completely open yeah in touch with his his emotions but like leads with kindness and empathy but is completely fucking capable of defending his family of defending super you, you capable know, like, yeah, super yeah. capable but also capable of stepping back when it's time to step back so what is it that when you like the, because i know you too you you also 
you know, see certain, you know, certain, oh, yeah. like the, the the LA guy or whatever the fuck it is, and 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 I think you're like, yeah, eh, it's not a man, like whatever. Well, like, when what, it's, what are they lacking? What 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 is that? When it's somebody who's putting on the trappings of a certain kind of masculinity uh-huh. without being able to occupy it, uh-huh. I just don't have respect for it because it's a lie, uh-huh. and it's it's a lie to try and gain status uh-huh. without doing any of the actual work. Yeah, yeah. I don't particularly care. Like I've got all kinds of really close male friends in my life who don't adhere to the same kind of masculinity that defines you or Sean or whatever. Right. But they are who they are. Right. Do you know what I mean? And whether that's I'm a poet or, you know, I'm any number of things, but like, but to me, it has to do with owning who you are and sitting in your own skin and, and the the scariest thing in the world, like being alone with your own head in the dark Mm. alone going I'm going to get right with this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is I think what a lot of cultures used to have when it comes to masculinity do you know what I mean like you hit 14 you hit 15 you reckon with yourself you figure out who the fuck you are and then culture puts you in a place where you can be that person and if that person is I write music and I make baskets and I sit with the women then God bless you we are behind you yep if that person is, I've got the weapons on my back and I am the first one into the field, great. We need that too. But we value both of them. Mm-hmm. I think what happens too often is that guys go, our culture values that, so I'm going to put on that costume and try and fool everybody. No, yeah. And I'm going to be the one that swells on people. You know, I'm going to fuck him up. And you're like, you're not though. Probably not. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so... So I don't have any respect for you. If you are the person you are, you know what I mean? Like, if you can just be that, that's great. There's not one way to be a guy. But to me, I think we do a real disservice when it comes to masculinity because we say to men simultaneously, we hold up a kind of punisher thing of like, you've got to be strong. You've got to defend your people. You've got to be uncompromising. You've got to be loyal. But... We're not going to have loyalty to you because when you serve and then you come back with PTSD, we may or may not actually treat you and you may end up homeless. Or we teach you that aggression is super important to defend the people around you and then don't give you the tools to deal with that aggression in other parts of your life. Like, you know, my husband studied with this guy, um, Vlad Vasiliev in, uh, in Toronto, who came from Russian special forces and taught uh, Sistema, which is like a kind of martial art out there. And Vlad was like, we don't have PTSD in the Russian army because we, because it's, it's intertwined with the church. Now, I'm not saying this is necessarily the way to go, but like, he's like, if I take a life, there's a whole protocol for me to go through with my God to make that right. He's like, I don't understand what you guys do tell young men to shoot somebody and then you just walk away like how could they how could they be people and not be destroyed by that and I think that's really interesting I'm not saying that the Russian army is the way to go and obviously bringing up the Russian army at all is like super complicated but there are systems in many cultures that help men navigate the the fucking madness that is testosterone and challenge that into things that are creative and collaborative and generative 
And I feel like so often in our culture, we take that and we turn it into aggression and destruction and and we leave the rest behind and it's totally unbalanced. Do you think that there's roles, you know, it seems like so much of like the last century has been, there's been so much effort to sort of like break down female gender roles. Do you feel like there's anything, I mean, like you don't really do that for guys yet. We don't really do that for guys yet. We've been, you know, we've been working on it. I mean, what was, what is, um, what is Ruth Bader Ginsburg said? I'm, I'm just asking for men to take their boot off our necks. You know, like that's been a pretty big undertaking. And I think maybe, forgive the use of the word, maybe the fallacy is in thinking that that can happen first and then we'll deal with the guy, right? Like it's, it's the us first and then you later mistake that gets made all the time. You know, just like the way white feminism was like, dear black women, hold on, let us do this first and then we'll get to you. That didn't work. That's not the approach. It's we got, we got, we got to all get there together, right? I think similarly with gender, like we're not going to get men to take their boot off of our necks until we go, here's what you can do with that boot. <laughs> this is, we can, we can do this together. I mean, my husband and I in our marriage have had to radically rewrite gender roles for each other, How for so? ourselves. I'm the breadwinner. He comes from a family of men that work in factories after serving in the the armed forces. That was not an easy, it was his choice to stay home with the kids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And he was really surprised. What's a way that that, what's a way, can you, can you describe like a way that you feel like that has really, really worked for you guys? And can you feel, can you also describe a way that's been like super challenging? Part of what, worked is for him to find like he's on search and rescue which allows him to like get out into the woods use the skills he has to serve others and and that camaraderie of other people doing a similar thing that's a huge part of who he is um but i you know I kind of accidentally inherited this idea that if you make the money, you make the decisions and had to dismantle that real quick. And like one of the most important things was always like the money I make goes into a bank account that's ours because that bullshit where like you got an ask for an allowance or whatever, like that's fucked up. And I think when men do that to women, that's borderline abusive. It's super fucked up. But, you know, we kind of each pick a lane and like this is the stuff you're in charge of and I'm not going to second guess it and you do you on this and and I'm going to have my side of this but it has to do with uncoupling money from power I may be the one that makes the money but that doesn't mean I deserve more power in the relationship and also as a feminist like he's doing work that has value (laughs) He's raising the kids. And if I were to put a price tag on what it would cost to have a round-the-clock person in our house, he'd be making a six-figure salary. So, you know, there's there's a kind of parity there. Right. But it's, it, was, it was hard on him. Interestingly, never on me. It never mattered to me where the money came from. It never crossed my mind. But and it would probably actually be hard on me if I wasn't the breadwinner. It would be hard for me to be like, 
it, yeah, it, it would be tough on my ego. And so I, so I see the way it has been on him. What are you looking to do with your career? What are you looking to do with your family? Parent really well. How do you do that? Starts with being there. Mm -hmm. There has been an attrition of ambition as I've looked at how much time I've got left with my kids. Mm -hmm. um, you feel that? You feel that clock? I've got three summers with my oldest. Uh, I mean, you know, he's not going to die. He's just not going to be in the house anymore, probably. Um, I, I've always wanted to do stuff I haven't seen before. That's always been kind of what drives me. I want to bring some of those kinds of stories, like the Pele and Hi'iaka and Homeo stories, in. I am leaning away from violence. Um, I feel like I've done it, and I don't know how I feel about it. Directing more, you know, I want to, I mean, ideally, I'd get my friends and just, we'd tell our own stories. Do things that I've written and created or things that you've written and created and just kind of like build a company. Um, it's so much, you know, like we've both learned, I think, in the last couple of years that it is so much harder to get something made than to just sign on to something that's already getting made. Sure. And, but yeah, I want to do things that center Hawaii. Um, I want to do things that center indigenous voices, which is complicated because I'm not indigenous. And so it's a like, how can I produce? How can I offer opportunity to? How can I, you know, like a couple of women that I've worked with have been like, can I shadow you so I can start directing? Be like, I don't know what I have to teach you, but you can come along for the ride, you know? Like, you know, I was working with some really great Native Hawaiian filmmakers when I was at the film festival down there and, you know, just trying to like, hey, they're hiring in the writer's room of this show, you know, like that kind of a thing. Um, and I, I want to work on stories that, like, actually model that kind of forgiveness. You know, like, it's tough, but I've, I've walked a bit of it. You know, like, there was a, you know, I was sexually assaulted for a while when I was really young by a member of my family. And what I learned from that was that forgiveness healed me, you know? And, and it's not really about him because he hasn't asked for forgiveness and I can't have him in my life. But really fully looking at Where does that come from? Like, who hurts a kid? And what are all the layers of a culture that created that person and a life that created that person? And how along the way, I think at every stop, was a culture where, and this is something else we do to men, he couldn't be wrong. 
there was nothing worse than having to apologize and take responsibility and say I made a mistake. And so layer after layer after layer just got compressed and pushed down until it like warped something fucking fundamental in him. And he did something monstrous. So if I push it down in me and I just compact that rage, which is justified rage, and compact that pain, which is pretty present, then it's going to warp me and I'm going to become a monster. And that phrase of like, hurt people, hurt people, you just keep rolling. But I can take another perspective, which is it stops here. And that only stops through fucking like forgiveness like an Olympic sport. You know what I mean? Like practicing it every day. How do you practice day. it? How, so, so, and, and does it need to be too... To, to, does the forgiveness need... To, to, to extract that, to extract that pain, mm-hmm. does the forgiveness need, in, in your case, does it need to be too be to the perpetrator does Mm -hmm. it need to be to him personally Mm -hmm. and then and Mm -hmm. so how do you practice it and how does it manifest itself so the the first really good advice i got was from somebody who was in aa who talked about how like your sense of entitlement your sense of being wronged will be the reason you drink do you know what i mean like oh well i got fucked for this so i deserve a drink whatever and I was like, okay. And he goes, so you pray for your enemies. And I was like, ugh, God, really? <laughs> um, but he wasn't wrong. And I don't, you know, like my spiritual practice looks a little different than like the kind of traditional Christianity that he was really involved with. But like, yeah, man, like I wish you peace. I wish you blessed, like anything I would wish for myself or my best friends or my children. over and over and over and over again you don't have to mean it at the beginning Mm. you don't have to mean it Mm. Um, but you know as you find when you're learning lines you say something over enough you just start to believe it you know which is also a part of the a part of the healing because if I can forgive him I have power I have agency Whereas what I learned from the experience was you have no power. Mm. You can't stop this. You can't protect yourself. And you must be a piece of shit because only bad kids would have that happen to them, right? And so through through those conversations with myself of... I wish you peace. I wish you forgiveness. I wish you joy. I wish you ease. I wish you release. To get to a point of going, I can wish you those things because I have them and I deserve them too. You know? How long have you been practicing that? It took a couple years to get through to the adults in my life. Uh... And interestingly, the first person in my life who was ever like, I believe you and how can I go kill him, (laughs) was my husband. Um, 
But I think the forgiveness of it all, I was probably 22, 23. It was actually around the time that he walked out of my life. And I was like, oh, there's not resolution coming here, which means it's on me. But actually, if it's just going to be me, I can do this however I want. <laughs> you know, I can hold on to the rage. And, and I still struggle with that, right? Like in the moments when I, we talked about this before, but that like, what it means is that I'm a really kind person until you put me in the position where I got to protect myself. And then I go full Targaryen. Yeah, it's a little much. Yeah. A little much because there's nothing in the middle. Yeah. There's either I feel safe or I've got the knives out to protect that four-year-old kid behind me and you're not getting through me. And that's the challenge of my adult life is going not always going this one goes to 11 do you know what I mean like yeah. sometimes it's a two yeah sometimes you know sometimes somebody just like stepped on you you know and you gotta be like hey get your foot off of me no problem we're good right how you doing with that <laughs> I'm just wondering I don't know how do you feel I'm doing with I that? feel like you're doing I feel <laughs> like you're doing I mean look man I feel like you're doing good. I mean, I feel like you're doing Your better. Your voice just went up an octave. Nah, I mean, like, look, I mean, like, you're okay. I've seen you, <laughs> I've seen you snap on some motherfuckers, like for sure. And like, you know, for me, it's like again, like I got my own brand. You know me, I'm like right. the biggest bitch in the world. I'm oh, sorry about bitch, but whatever. But I, when I say bitch, I don't mean woman. I mean like a little bitch ass. You know what I mean? It's like different. Yeah. But like, I have my own problems with conflict, as you know. Like, I do, I do only yeah. know how to have one kind of conflict. So I let motherfuckers walk all over me all day. I need you to take me to a certain point. And then it's like, okay, right. then we, you want to have that kind of conflict. Right. Cool. Big problem right. with me. I'm trying to, you know, but mm-hmm. I saw you fucking, you, you, you know, snap on motherfuckers, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and a few times I was like, God damn, <laughs> uh, um, I, I don't think I've really seen, you know, besides what you said on me you know like I don't really I haven't really but that was different I think I don't know I, at this I point that was are, like a year or two ago yeah I, th- I think you I think you are doing doing good with that honestly I I, I, I just but I think you're right man it's like it kind of goes into everything that we're saying to like understand that there there is uh, there is real there's real power in, 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 in empathy there's real power mm-hmm. in saying like I'm mm-hmm. not you, you know, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna own this mm-hmm. pain, and I'm gonna do something with it. I'm gonna I'm I'm, I'm and gonna doing something with it. Yeah, is fucking critical. Yeah, man. Like putting it to work for other people. That's right. Is such an important part of this. I was walking with a friend of mine just a couple hours ago who's an alcoholic, and he was like, "The only way I stay sober is through service. That's the only way because I can't do it for me." You know, and right. it's like that's true. It's right. really really true, and it's part of why we need to live in community. Because when you live in community, it's it's got to be why this fucking pandemic was so hard for some people because they were so isolated, right? Mm-hmm. Like we at least had our favorite people in the world with us, mm-hmm. but and and creatures. But mm-hmm. like you, you have to put it to work because every time I can sometimes see it in people, you know, and just be like, "Who hurt you?" Mm. You know, and there's that like, like it's okay. You know, it always starts with like, it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. And nine out of 10 times, they just start sobbing. 
You're like, it's really not your fault. And I'll just keep saying it until you believe it. It's really not your fault. You didn't. Do you, do you, do you believe that? About like, myself? Do you feel like you have that? Do you feel like you have that part yeah. of it licked? Yeah, yeah, And even though you've never gotten an apology, you've never gotten an admittal, you're, or is it admittal? Admittal? Is that a word? Nope. I don't I mean, think it he, is. Even though he's never admitted it one. or owned it, you feel like you've got that squared, right? The the part, I still feel a little bit like I struggle with like, am I a piece of shit? Do you know what I mean? Um, I don't feel like it's my fault. But I, I do, like, I find myself sometimes reflexively going into self-destruct sequence. But now I'm at a point where I can see it. And I go, I know what this is. This yeah, isn't such mine. Such a huge step, man. This yeah. isn't mine. Yeah. This yeah. was, somebody took a big shit in the middle of my childhood, and it's that. So mm -hmm. get that out of my way, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? And mm -hmm. it's, it's you got to keep an eye on it. Mm -hmm. um, but every time... Every time there's a chance to connect with somebody and like be like, I'm just a couple steps further along this path, come with me. That's putting it to use, you know? And so then it becomes like, okay, okay. There's a place to put this. There's a, there's, it's not a sort of nihilistic, like, why did this happen? This has no meaning. It's just, it's just awful. I'm a much more compassionate person a much more empathetic person and I can reach people sometimes because there's certain things that like and I know there are parts of your life that are like this too there's certain things that like you really can only be helped by somebody who's been that's right in those shoes that's right and so great you know I've been in them let's walk let's do yeah. this yeah you fucking um, that is you man I mean you are you are down to help you are fucking down to help <laughs> makes me feel useful yeah. It makes me feel useful, which is important to me, <laughs> you know. Yo, man, I love you. I really appreciate you doing this, man. I love you, too. Yo, yeah, man, thank you, Russ. <laughs> thank you, brother. <laughs> okay. Cool. Okay. Look at that. Look at that. He just wanted to be in the picture. Thanks for being here, everybody. I really appreciate it. If you dug what you saw and you want to hear more, subscribe, like, do all that stuff. Uh, it'd mean a lot to us. I hope you dig these episodes as much as we dig doing them. You guys take care of yourself.